Welcome to the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast. On this podcast, let's step aside from our busy lives to have fun, fascinating, life-giving conversation with inspiring authors, pastors, sports personalities, and other influencers, leaders, and followers. Sit back, grab some coffee, or head down the road, and let's get the good and gold from today's guest. Here's Jeff Pinkleton, Executive Director of the Gathering of the Miami Valley, where their mission is to connect men to men and men to God. Hello, friends. Welcome again today to another episode of the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast, where we like to talk all things life, leadership, lessons therein, and we like to do that in a world of sports, of business, of comedy, of books, authors, pastors, music, the list goes on and on. And quite honestly, with today, it's a little hard as it should be to put this in any kind of box. It's a very unorthodox thing. We have new friend, feels like a longtime friend, Zach Mirkrebs from Kentucky. We're growing our capacity to have Kentucky people on this podcast. I've always said it comes down to Louisville and Nashville, but if I go by state, I think Kentucky with some Lexington ties might trump the great state of Tennessee. Zach, we'll get to who he is a little bit in a second because it'll take over most of the podcast, but my new friend as of a couple weeks ago, Zach, welcome to the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast. Thanks for having me. Honored. 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 Well, I'm honored to have you. It, it's pretty cool how we got connected. So I don't know on your end, on my end, it was months and months ago, our good mutual friend or friends, Matthew and Nancy Sleeth had commented that we should connect. Matthew is one of the few people who have been on here already twice. You are, uh, we, we just passed recently episode number 100. So we've had quite a few on here, but we've only had a handful come on here twice. And Matthew is one of them. And he talked multiple times about you and I would hit it off and connections and yada, mm. yada, yada. And then fortunately our paths crossed recently when I was heading to one of my favorite places in the world, the Abbey of Gethsemane, and they double booked and you're coming for lunch. And unfortunately you couldn't join us, but we did cross paths our way out the door, your way in the door. And we interacted for maybe 10, 15 minutes. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know if I want to use the word safe, but you just felt really comfortable to me. There was something like, forget who you are, just your presence. You felt very comfortable. You wanted to pray for us before we left. And I've said it to you and I said it to those guys. And I know there's still work to be done. You referenced in your prayer for us that the stuck would become unstuck. And I've still been praying that through and kind of processing wow. that, writing it down. All right, God, what are the areas of my life that are stuck that need unstuck? So praise God. Yeah, let's just jump into that. Talk about that. You know, you and I went back and forth as far as the sleets are concerned, talking that we needed to meet. And how are you yeah. when, when things like that come up? And I'm sure this is far from being the first time that's ever happened. But when someone says you need to meet so-and-so, what does that usually do in your heart? Do you jump on it? Or are you like, yeah, sure, sure, I need to meet somebody? <laughs> or what What do you think when people do that to you? Yeah, I think a year ago I would have a different answer. And it's been a part of what the Lord's been doing in my heart of just praying a lot for wisdom. But when something like that happens of like, man, if it's someone like the sleets, I usually say, yeah, no duh. Like, yeah, of course, you know, because I've learned to trust the sleep. Mm -hmm. But in this season, that's been some of the disorientation of how explosive Asbury was. And then 
to find myself in this seat that like I'm more surprised than anybody else that I and there's some people that just have different scorecards. They're not wrong scorecards, but different scorecards. Mm, so when you right. find someone that has the same scorecard, like the sleeves, and they passionately say, like, no, nah, whatever he asks, you should probably do. Mm. I listen. Yeah. You know, even like in February when, when God was moving, I felt relatively disconnected and, and isolated when I was there, even though it was so powerful and people were coming. And I just started praying, man, like almost every day, like, Lord, just send me a friend. Mm. Just send me a safe friend. Send me a, a spiritual big brother, a spiritual father who, because what was happening was so intense. So I just keep on praying that. Yes. And when you run into anyone I run into in Matthew Sleeth's hallway is probably decent. Uh, you know, he doesn't uh, have like ax murderers there. Yeah. So I just felt a gift there. But there's there's other people that I've just learned in wisdom of like, man, I don't I don't know if that person not that I'm a big deal in any way. I just don't know if we're if we're if we do need to connect. Yeah. So I just pray through it and but when someone like Matthew says or that you should just say yes. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. funny about that. So I'm big on, I desire greatly to make good godly kingdom connections. And one of our campus pastors where we go is telling a story yesterday to fit into a sermon about me making a connection for him. And he kind of chuckled and said, you know, if you know Jeff at all, he likes to make connections and he likes to make lots of them. And this guy's wife had just died. Greg Nerger, people can listen to it on a previous episode with Kurt Sodder from Louisville. And he was like, he goes, well, ultimately I trust Jeff. He goes, but you know, I know Jeff likes to do this all the time. And he said, it's been one of the most life-changing connections I've ever had. And what God did and through that and uh, whatever people were looking at me when he's saying it and they know me and they know I love making connections. And it's like, yep, we've all had that experience and whatever. But I'm like you, I, you know, if the sleeves say it, I'm like done, I'm doing it. And I'm trying to remember if they made the connection to me with Kurt Sauter, they might have. And yeah, they've introduced me to Kurt too. Yeah. Yeah. And Kurt, you know, mother from a different, you know, brother type. Brother from a different mother. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. And I said it way wrong. And, uh, you know, his story is great. And, uh, you know, it's been fun to make connections for Kurt and, you know, probably vice versa somewhat as well. But uh, you already alluded to your heart. And I want to hit that for a second because we talked before we came on air about Andrew Peterson and I talked about what he has meant to me. You've, you've, you know, of him very well, yada, yada, yada. And he does a great job of talking imagery about things with our life, with faith, with whatever, what's an image you have for the heart and maybe particularly for your heart. Do you have an image that comes to mind that you would use to parallel heart? Wow. That's a good question. And something that I've been experiencing and processing a ton and it has to do with heart is Jesus' kindness and the fragility of my heart. Like there's the tenderness that I just feel in this season, a little fragility and tenderness and in sobriety with the purity of of my heart and the and the health of it. And and I just see this image of there's a book called Invitation to a Journey by mm. Robert Mulholland. Yep. Have you heard, heard oh, yeah. it or read it? Yeah, I just saw it. I didn't realize he was dead now because I, I actually reached out yeah. to him a couple of times and didn't get any reply. That's probably why. Now I understand. That's probably why. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, he talks about 
it's like in his first chapter and it's kind of like this throwaway idea but it's like it reminds me so much of what i feel like this last season has been of just that the start of spiritual formation is at the point of unlikeness to jesus it always is mm. and this picture of that that means the first step of spiritual formation is confrontation and confronting where where it doesn't line up so i feel like if we can just keep kind of our hearts ourselves on the, the potter's wheel or under examination of jesus then we just continue to experience confrontation that leads to formation if we choose it mm. or it leads to frustration you know wow. but just trying to keep it on the potter's wheel man yeah. knowing that it's tender and affordable and but he's generous and kind and gentle in in the confrontation and then formation so yeah i don't know how much that helps but yeah it's a good thing to meditate on for later oh sure well and i'm with you the potter yeah. clay thing you know is definitely something that resonates with me I, i've been thinking probably more in recent years partly through matthew and his love and fascination with trees but just gardening and tilling and looking at i've always wanted to go to ireland just because i remember seeing probably a decade plus ago, I saw a quote in a newspaper where a bunch of college students had been to Ireland and one kid talked about their trip and just said, I love it because I've never seen so many different shades of green. And I read that quote mm. and I'm like, I want to go to Ireland. I already did, yeah. but that moved it to number one on my list. And, and um, you know, I'm from Tennessee. So going to you know Gatlinburg area and seeing fall leaves in October yeah. uh, is cool. But I knew you'd have something there that would be good with imagery there. Yeah, so man. Before we rock well, and roll too much into February 8th, because I know that'll be where we spend most of our time, give people the three-minute version of your coming to Jesus. Yeah, man. So, grew up in a Jewish home. Grew up relatively, you know, I think doing our best in religion, but but in religion, experiencing a whole lot of brokenness in, in the secret. And, you know, both my parents... Had different elements of brokenness and mm. whether it's substances or uh, relationships and just a, an immense amount of brokenness man which then we kind of ran out to the west which the west from where i was in washington dc was colorado springs mm. and colorado springs was a unique place to grow up as a jewish kid really and you know it's just like christian mecca you yeah. focus on family compassion Young life. Navigators, young life. And I remember we lived right by Focus on the Family. And Focus on the Family has this like big, like four story green slide that like comes in and out of the building. Wow. I remember as a kid, I was like, man, one day I'll go down that slide. And I remember my family being like, absolutely not. Juice will get you on that slide. Wow. So I never, I never went down that slide. But just an immense amount of brokenness and, dad uh, was in and out of the picture and then there was multiple guys in and out of the picture uh, who would date mom or get married and get divorced and which led to just a lot of insecurity and intimidation a lot of those father wins of do i have what it takes am i wanted mm. am i but in that brokenness i started noticing some really good dads and their kids primarily through guys that i played soccer with i would just watch how their dads Wow. cared for them and loved on them. And how old are you at this point? Soccer. I grew up playing soccer, so I probably started noticing in like third or fourth grade. Really? Like you were that aware? Brokenness. You were that aware yeah. of pay attention? Because I just, I just longed for a good dad mm. and a present dad. And mom was doing her best, you know, 
working and I have a big brother and but these families would really come around us and and I was just kind of enamored almost like felt awkward sometimes you know? mm. just really longing for these dads to notice me like they noticed their kids wow. and fight for their kids and and when I got a little bit older and I got more into brokenness like drugs and girls but still religious I was bar mitzvahed when I was 13 mm-hmm. I still just noticed these amazing men and I started noticing probably early high school, late middle school, that the common denominator were they were all Christians and most of them were working in Christian organizations like compassion or NAVs or they were pastors or missionaries on furlough. So early in high school, there was a traumatic event. One of my good friends committed suicide and it just, led me to asking the question, asking asking one of my friends for a Bible. And I said, I didn't want them to talk to me. I didn't want them to explain anything. I just needed a Bible. So you didn't and have one? No, no, I had no clue. And I didn't know what the gospel was. I was in high school before anyone just told me the gospel, which is something that I'm passionate about now. Like someone shouldn't live 16 years in the United States without an opportunity to give their lives to Christ. So 16, you know, I'm reading a Bible, and after about nine months of just getting wrecked in private, I asked a friend to meet, and I asked a bunch of questions, and he shared the gospel with me, and that started another year-long journey of exploring Jesus, and gave my life to Christ, and immediately, when I gave my life to Christ, just was humiliated, and, a, and honestly, kind of attacked by my family. And How many siblings? Um, I have a big brother, my mom. You know, and then it was mostly from like grandparents and, and uncles and just talking about foolishness and, and really had a lot of costly things happen because of picking Jesus. So, pick, you know, Game of Life Express, November 29, 2006. And since then, I've been in different aspects of ministry and jumped into ministry pretty quick and had different kind of relationships with my biological family while. You know, Jesus redefines family very boldly in the Gospels, and that's been a gift to me. To some people, it's awkward, mm. but to me, it's it's a gift, and he's really redefined family. And I have amazing family in Colorado that really has taken me in and loved our family well and since I was in high school, you know. So there's so much more to that story, but that's really how yeah. I gave my life to the Lord. You know, it's interesting about what you said, Zach. I was thinking about, so we went after church yesterday, we went to lunch, and we were blessed with this crazy situation where we got like Texas Roadhouse for free. And so we're indulging in multiple appetizers and steaks and whatever. And it kind of was a total gift from God that we, um, I thought, you know, if we're gonna have a meal like this, we really need to take the next level of asking some questions. And so I asked every, you know, my four kids, my wife, like what's been really, really hard in 2023 that God's met you and you've grown because of the really, really hard. And what's just been like incredibly awesome. And my youngest son, who's 16, what's really awesome, I mean, could have talked to sports and he's in multiple leadership positions and, you know, whatever, but talked about his friends and he has a great group of friends, like his parents, my wife and I love watching really all of our kids, but particularly our youngest son and middle son, their group of friends, my middle son in college age and where he is with kids at Grace College, but my youngest son sports teams and school and all this kind of stuff. And I thought, you know, when you, you talk, I love what you said, Zach, about family and God really redefining it because, you know, I love my family and come from a great family in so many ways. 
My wife, similar boat in many ways, seeing it with sports teams where it's really good. But I say it to the guys in the gathering all the time. You know, my day job where our tagline is connecting men to men and men to God, that if two people or more know Jesus, the sky is the limit to those relationships. Like, yes, we are not on a call. We spent about 10 minutes together before this. The sky's the limit for me and you if God wants to take it there. Yep. If one of us doesn't know the Lord or we both don't know the Lord, at its best, there's a ceiling. Yeah, we're talking about sports or yeah, which is or which is great. Or, or yeah. Jerry Seinfeld and how you desperately need to watch some episodes <laughs> of Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee. But I only watch The Chosen. <laughs> that's right, because you're a Christian and you only eat at Chick Fil A. And you, uh, <laughs> but anyway, and I, and I wish people understood that because I think that's part of the gospel. If we can get people to grasp that. Like you crave relationship, you want relationship, you want 2 a.m. friends or whatever. The best way you're going to get that in the fullest way is through pursuing Jesus and what he brings you in community. The first time I heard the gospel was Fellowship of Christian Athletes in a dude's basement, Mason Bragg's basement. When I was a freshman in high school and it was that song, he, he's a father to the father who puts lonely people in families. And I think that is that is such a gospel verse that we don't utilize mm. especially in such a lonely age you know and that's what captivated my heart wow yeah i'm totally intrigued by you being pre-10 years old it sounds like really noticing and paying attention to fathers and then you know out of nowhere really with no rhyme or reason i mean this is totally holy spirit stuff that you just crave a bible and get do you remember what the bible was that you finally got it was like a baby bible <laughs> It's what, like what, pastels and what uh, version? pictures. What I don't even remember. I knew it was like a little kid Bible. It wasn't even like a like a teen Bible. It was like yeah. a little kid Bible. But I just never heard these stories, man. Like I literally had not, I'd grown up in the United States, relatively mostly in Colorado Springs. And I remember even like when The Passion came out, I went because a bunch of my friends went. And I didn't even know that that was the end of the of Jesus' story, mm. like at that point when people are like weeping in the t- in the theater, like calling out Jesus' name, I'm like, you know, and the drums are building, and you see the open uh, tomb, and you see the sun shine through the holes in his hands. I'm like, that is unbelievable. Yeah. But like, I also like was already planning on going to Chipotle. Like, I wasn't <laughs> like moved. I was just like on yeah. to the next thing. But I, I just never known any of that stuff. Yeah. So you're taking me yeah, back man, in I time. Just, I would just read scripture. I would like listen to worship music on my headphones and then like blast rock music or Eminem or rap music yeah. like on my head because I, I felt like I was afraid for my family to know I was listening to like Hillsong yeah. <laughs> and I would just read my Bible like crazy man and was captivated by it. Two things there. It's funny you said Eminem because my youngest son just got his hair bleached a few weeks ago and he's getting a lot of Eminem comments because he does have an Eminem look to him now. But, you know, I remember I went back in time as soon as you said the passion. I remember where I was going out to my car and I just remember thinking like, I don't know what to say. And I'm, as you can tell, I'm a talker. So to not know what to say, and I don't even remember who I went with, but I just remember like I was dumbfounded for like 20, 30 minutes easily, if not longer. But we, we got to move ahead because there's too much good we got to talk about. And I could be here all day, but let's let's talk about what you've already alluded to. Go February 8th, 2023. Yeah, man. So 
Asbury has become a place where I love. I've loved it for multiple years. I moved to Kentucky 11 years ago uh, as a college pastor. So I've been on campus for about 11 years, different intensities. But about four years ago, I was coaching soccer at a different college in town. And through COVID and other things, ended up getting invited to coach soccer at Asbury. And so I'm a volunteer goalie coach, Asbury soccer. And I would disciple different guys on campus. And through that, got connected to doing retreats. And I was a pastor at the time and working with young adults with Christian Missionary Alliance. So they asked if I would do a retreat, did that retreat, asked if I would come back and do chapel. And I've always just felt at home at Asbury and feel really called to the next generation and college students. I think, I don't know if it's a style or anything. I think it's more just like a conviction of like just authenticity. And I just try not to be sparkly uh, because I think college students are just exhausted with people that try to be sparkly. Mm. I'm not that sparkly. So it would be fake. And, and when you're faking it, you don't have the opportunity for God's anointing, you know? And so just try to be authentic and honest and open up the word. And I was asked to speak out of Romans 12 and I was doing February 1st and February 8th. And February 1st, I did the first couple verses. I did verses three through eight because Sarah Baldwin did one and two. I did three through eight on February 1st and felt really confident about that sermon. Felt like the Lord used it and, and blessed the community. And then, I honestly was in your part of town. I was up in Columbus. Was, and on February 7th, doing a kind of a ministry to youth pastors in the Christian Missionary Alliance. Oh. And I thought I was going to be home in time to do sermon prep for February 8th. And I had like thought it through. But honestly, I was pretty exhausted, man. I think it was the 16th or 17th sermon that year. And it was only February 8th. Oh. And I think the Lord just used some of that emptiness and exhaustion to just rely on the Lord in the dissecting of verses 9 through 21. And we really just kind of exegetically worked through that passage on the 8th. And the Lord really had me highlight authentic love and really challenge the inauthentic or hypocritical love that maybe those students had experienced. Really kind of felt the Lord in that moment kind of doing some work. I remember looking at one of the students and she was just crying. Like I just felt like the Lord was moving, but I ran out of time. Literally I had like seven or eight more slides. So as a preacher, you're like, Oh dear God, I just like yeah. crashed, landed. And, but I remember praying just that the Lord would do something new that it would, what we dove into would lay on us like an itchy sweater that we would do something about it. <laughs> And I remember knowing I had coffee with a student, Wes Elliott, at one thirty. So I said, I'll stick around mm. if you want to know more. Kind of because I felt like I didn't explain it well enough. And so I'll stay here. I just got coffee about like one thirty. So I get off stage and the gospel choir has led unbelievably that morning. They keep leading. I get to my seat and I text my wife. Like, late a stinker, be home soon for a nap. Like, I felt so defeated, man. I just thought, like, like I pittered out. And Which, by the way, I know that feeling that people go through, because I've had it, where you are yeah, stuck in your space of what you had and you didn't get to finish. And 
Yeah. So yeah, keep I mean, going on that. That's and I think I think there's that's some of the ministry, honestly, since they just like looking at guys who just strive and hustle so hard to be impressive while they open up the word of God and preach to their people. And I'm like, there's just so much freedom in being unremarkable. Mm. It, like in and because of Jesus, we we can. We need to be faithful. I'm not saying let's be lazy and, yep. and waste time, but so yeah, I texted my wife, lay a stinker, be home for a nap soon. And like 30 minutes goes by and an hour goes by and these students aren't leaving. Like most of the students are leaving, have left, but like 35 or so are like in the room leaning in and the gospel choir keeps leading. Now, let me stop you real quick. Then, you did say you yeah. texted your wife and said, I laid a stinker. Yeah. <laughs> what a stinker. Yeah. Well, praise God for stinkers, right? Yeah. And, um, I mean, there's just heroic worship leaders. George Dumain is a guy that I, I would love to connect you with. He led worship, the majority of uh, the outpouring. He led worship for like 12 hours the first day, just heroically. He comes from like 12 generations of worship leaders from Haiti. Wow. He's unbelievable. And he led heroically. And I remember like a couple hours in, I pulled some students together. I'm like, hey, go get your guitars. Like, would you start leading? And they would lead just kind of sitting on the edge of the stage. Now, you did, like you did this some, when? When did you get these guys to go get their guitars? Maybe like an hour or two after chapel got up. Okay. So this is after your coffee. And you came back. No, I didn't ever leave, man. The okay. guy who was supposed to come get coffee was one of the students. I was like, man, we're not going to coffee. Go get uh, okay, coffee. gotcha, gotcha. I want to make sure I heard that right. Yeah, now. so, yeah, yeah. So there's some pictures. I can send them to you if, if you want to throw them sure. on your uh, But um, of them just kind of sitting on the edge of the stage. And then the altars got so full that we had to move them from the edge of the stage onto stage because just students were just filling the altars. And then around four o'clock more of like asbury leadership were in the room and kevin brown yep. who we both previous guests on uh, here. i know he spent some time i love kevin brown dr brown he ends up sending an email out to campus that something's happening in chapel there and he doesn't cancel classes he just says you know something's happening we'd love to see you in chapel so probably like by dinner most of the chapel is full again wow. And I really haven't like stepped back on stage. There's a couple of people who have shared testimonies that day. The first one being a student named Charlie Cox, who's amazing. He's experienced a lot of suffering, lost both of his parents in a car accident the year before. Wow. He'd be it'd be amazing to get some of these students on, on yeah. call with you, bro. But that evening what I got on stage and one of my favorite pictures, I got on stage, I was sitting on the edge of the stage, my six year old is sitting right next to me you know, wanting to sing into the microphone, really. <laughs> and <laughs> we're just talking, and Praise we're just God trying to kind of give narration to what we sense God doing. And right around that time, my mentor, David Thomas, walked in. And after I got off stage, he encouraged Kevin Brown, Sarah Baldwin, Jennifer McCord, uh, myself, to go into the basement of Hughes and just kind of talk about what we're experiencing. Mm. And I remember. I bet that was a super through. wise move. Looking back, if you pause and think about what happened along the way, I'm going to guess that totally. was a big deal. Oh, it was a huge deal. It was the first yes that we had to take. We have to had to say yes to it. Mm. And it was. We sat down there, 
And I remember David Thomas said, I think something's happening here mm. and you should consider opening up, keeping Hughes open. And that was probably, that was the first yes of lots of yeses. Mm. And Sarah and Kevin and Jennifer, like these are the people that are going to pay the cost. They had to meet with boards. They had to get emails from parents, you know, they said yes. Like, let's keep it open. And That's it, real quick, Zach. That that is an important yeah. phrase that you just used about pay the cost. Because as I went around, by the way, Kevin Brown is texting me right now. <laughs> I texted oh, him really? about you, yeah, while we were talking. And one of the things I love is that it was very clear to me and the people, the guys I went there with, that there was a cost being paid here. That people were oh, yeah. sacrificing time, effort, headache. This oh, was not man. just some glorious, glamorous thing. No, it was so hard, but it was worth it, which is anything with the Lord, right? It's like the cruciform life, man. So there was, there was close to 1,800 volunteers that that paid a price, you know, like our families paid a price. Uh, the university paid a price. Now, God was moving and it's worth it. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of times we pay for the price for way lesser things. Yeah, amen. And things that we force. And things Amen. that we're trying to manufacture. This was not one of those things. So it was really worth paying the cost, but totally there was a price to pay. So that was the first yes. And I remember announcing, hey, it's going to stay open. And it was like a raucous cheer. And we started seeing people bring in mattresses and sleeping bags and hammocks. Wow. And I remember leaving that night, probably between four or five in the morning. And you and hadn't left. So you're staying there the whole time. No. I've been in Houston the whole time, yeah. And I'm driving home, and and honestly, I'm teary because I'm like, that was unbelievable. Mm. And I bet I'll come back in the morning, and it's pittered out. And it wasn't because I don't believe in those things. It's just like, man, I don't know, who knows what's going to happen, right? So I wake up. I have a meeting that morning with a dear friend. I meet with that guy for like 15 minutes because I didn't have like a good enough reason to cancel. Mm. But I like sat with him. I was like, this is what happened. I love you. Can you pray for me? I need to get down to Asbury. And you're and how far away like at this point? You're with the meeting. It was 15, how... 20 minutes. Okay. And I remember just dr- like cruising down there. And that was at the time where we could still park in front of yeah. Hughes Auditorium. So I park and some people i see some people coming in and out of the chapel and i'm like i'm like i i it's like i'm running into a candy shop you know like mm. i'm like can't get in there fast enough and i walk in and there's probably 30 or 40 students still worshiping and but by the time of like nine or ten the chapel's full again and that really became the start of 16 days of pretty steady well, not pretty steady, like pretty just unbelievable participation with, between God and people in his presence and power, his peace, his patience, his kindness. You know, I'm not a revivalist. I, I don't I've I've never read a book on revival. I've never studied the history of revival. I'm a missionary. I'm an evangelist. In some ways, I've been like, man, let's not gather in a place that saturates spaces. Let's move laterally. Let's stay low. So this is not what I'm used to. 
but very quickly it was like God's moving and people want to get into this room to experience it. And in, for some reason, I found myself in a seat that I'm one of the primary people that are stewarding mm-hmm. these experiences with an amazing team. So within the next day, a couple of us end up in a storage closet and that was our meeting space for a couple of days. Wow. Of just every three hours we'd be in the storage closet. What are we seeing? What are we feeling? Are we going, you know, do we need to go another three hours? Do we need to go into tomorrow? And then that sophisticated over those 16 days. But to meet with like the college president, the AD, the vice president of student affairs, the dean of students, David Thomas in a storage closet. And we're just like buzzing like little kids. You knew like something significant was happening. Yeah. I love those yeah. kind of stories because you're you're obviously adding breadth and depth and but hearing those storage closets every few hours, you know, David Thomas starting that kind of dialogue. How how much of those sixteen days were you there? I was there every day but one because I was they we all decided that we needed a break. So, so you just blew past your schedule. Off. Your schedule took a back seat for two and a half weeks. Yeah. Which is some of the cost. Yeah. But KP, my wife, Christy, and I just knew that this was, yeah. So I took vacation days. I apologized a lot. But it was like, yeah, it felt like an assignment from the Lord. And I say that with sobriety, not like, but it just felt like, uh, I get like emotional. I just, it just didn't feel like there was any other option. Yeah. And but not like a heavy-handed thing, but just like a for such a time as this, for some reason, he selected a couple of people to be there. So on Valentine's Day, I took it off and uh, was with my your girls. wife was probably grateful for that. Yeah, my wife is more spiritual than me, so she, she was in tune. She's locked in. The girls came down almost every day, and. We have some really profound moments. I have a six-year-old and a one-and-a-half-year-old, or one-year-old, and then we have a little girl who's in heaven who would have been three. Mm. And uh, the Lord did some really profound healing in our family through the 16 days. So some of the things that the Lord did in our family would, is worth the cost that we paid. Speak to that. There's no way we can leave that. Don't Yeah, elaborate on that where you can. Yeah, man. So three years ago specifically, we found out we were having a second girl named Esther, but pretty quickly we found out that Esther had a brain abnormality and it was a life-limiting diagnosis. We said if she made it to birth, we'd probably get a couple months to a year with her. And a couple months after that diagnosis, doctors meet with me and tell me that um, we're most, we could possibly lose my wife as well. Wow. So it was Because, because of that, months. you mean? Yeah. Okay. It was a couple months of just extreme trauma and toil and wrestling. And it led to Esther making it to birth on December 6th. And she, she gave a, she fought for 12 hours. So we had 12 hours with her before she passed. And my wife did great physically. Um, But, you know, of course, emotionally, spiritually, mm-hmm. us, we're really, really wrecked by it. So it's been kind of this three-year journey 
you know, last week was December 6th. So, and there was a lot of wrestling. I was kind of emerging back into vibrant spirituality and, and intimacy with Jesus, but KP was fighting for it, but just was still really struggling, mm-hmm. you know, and as it happens, we're seeing people get healed. We're seeing tumors disappear. We're seeing blind people see. We're seeing people get out of wheelchairs. We're seeing, you know, God move mildly, and we're sitting there really wrestling. Like, well, what about Esther? Like, but the Lord met us in that, and it gave us really profoundly healed my wife from just a deep wrestling with him. Like, there's just like a, a renewed joy and, and peace and faith that i remember walking into hughes because she said hey we're here the girls are here and there was kind of we could kind of sit up front towards the right that was kind of space for us and i walk through these double doors and she's jumping up and down and dancing with my girls during worship how far in was this it was within the first week okay yeah i can send you the video i have you know hundreds of 20 second videos of just moments but there's this one video of her dancing up and down and singing with my daughter and it was the first time i had seen her do anything like that since losing Esther. but that was what god was doing there yeah like and it wasn't these like signs and wonders like hundreds of people falling out or you know gold dust which i'm not like busting on any of that Mm -hmm. i'm just saying like there was this like peace, gentle yep. kindness, but it was willing people back to him in fullness. And so it was beautiful, but our family really got to do ministry together that whole time. And it, it was an honor of a lifetime. You know, it's interesting. I, I like, and I've, you know, stolen this from multiple, multiple, multiple people, but I love looking at things and saying, you know, in whatever the situation may be, God, you know, where, is this what it, what in this is good? What's beautiful? What's redemptive? And what's true? And everything you're saying with your experience, if I remove me or anything I know about it away, is so cool to hear. And then knowing what I saw when I was there on the fifteenth, I, I think a lot of people I know who personally were there, the people with me, people I know that went other times, you know, the humility, the sacrifice, the oneness. You know, nobody labeling it from an Asbury side things that are overly glamorous or glorious to draw attention. There was just so much, I think, to learn. You know, it's funny, uh, our family actually supports one of the students there now who had told me what she was looking to do. She ended up going a different route. We kept in touch a little bit, and uh, she sent me, you know, a giving thing for what she's doing now in ministry Mm -hmm. kind of as a, is it in English, as a second language ministry thing? She's something like that. And I'm thinking, you know, I interacted with her really one time and then some, some on social media, but you know, if I'm going to try to encourage this girl and tell her what I see in her, that God's done, how would I not be supportive? Mm-hmm. You know, one time monthly, whatever, I forgot what exactly Beautiful. we did, but yeah, I it was kind of disheartening. I'm sure you experienced this some, we could maybe pick up on this next time, but you know, I think seeing some of the, where people wanted to be negative about it and shoot it down, like they're going to do with all things versus people staying on the up and up and really saying a hey, period. God is doing something here in the story. Let's, let's focus on that. Let's see what God's doing. I want to pick this back up because there's so much more we can dive into. Zach, I want to talk about Kevin Brown and leadership and how you saw them steward it. 
I want to talk about yeah. more things long term, how this has impacted your heart. We clearly want to get into what you're up to now. Um, you know, you're the kind of guy I think, Zach, I could easily just talk. You know, you mentioned deeper wells, talking about heart, talking about what God's doing. There's a lot we'll get into. So let's let's pause. I mean, cool. I, I just have a lot of appreciation for you. It really, in a sense, has nothing to do with Asbury. We got connected through the sleets, but I mean, certainly that makes your story one that people want to know about. So it is what it is mm. with Asbury. Yeah. But I just feel this comfortable, you know, brother in Christ who can pursue Jesus and do ministry together on some level, whatever that means. And uh, yeah, I'm eager to get down that way. And, you know, I, I could just build a little road trip for people, you know, sleeps for lunch, <laughs> uh, monastery to go. go take in that, go to the Lincoln things in Hodgenville, go see Zach and Kevin Brown and Asbury and the list goes on and on. Head to Louisville from there, yada, yada, yada. So yeah, we would be honored to host you and man, honored to have this conversation. Sorry that we didn't cruise as fast no, as no. we thought, but honored hey. to be in the conversation and yeah. I heard Kyle Eidelman say recently from the military that it was kind of a focus of his on his sabbatical several months back. He said, slow is smooth, smooth is fast. So this was a smooth yeah. conversation and we'll continue cool. in the smooth lane to be. Awesome. Honored, man. All right. Honored. Our friends, stay tuned. Part two will be coming next week. Thank you for joining us on the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast. You can reach Jeff at gatheringmiamivalley.org or find us on Facebook at The Gathering of the Miami Valley. Join us again next week for another honest and rich conversation. The Rise FM Podcast Network.